Are you a Monday Christian? You know what a Monday Christian is. Sunday Christian's easy. Sundays, we're around other Christians doing Christian things. Monday is Monday. Nobody likes Monday. Monday is a declaration that the weekend is over. Everything that could go wrong goes wrong on Monday. How does your faith change between Sunday morning and Monday morning? Because the reality is this. If Christianity is all about Sunday for you, you have a religion. If Christianity is about life, then you probably have a relationship. If Jesus is your Lord on Sunday, then he is also your Lord on Monday. If he's not your Lord on Monday, then he really wasn't your Lord on Sunday. You just went to church and had religion. But a relationship is an everyday kind of a thing. Lisa is my wife on Thursday night just as much as she is my wife on Monday morning, just as much as she is my wife on Sunday morning because it's a relationship. When we look in Scripture, we find a whole series of verses that talk about the human heart. And we've been looking at some of those over the last few weeks. This morning I want us to conclude that series as we look at some of the verses that talk about being wholehearted. Not Sunday-minded, but wholehearted. Scripture makes it clear that God calls us into a relationship that is above and beyond the Sunday religion. He calls us into a relationship with him that requires of us a wholehearted commitment. We can't even say to him, Lord, I, I love you so much, I'll serve you when it's convenient. Lord, I love you so much, I'll serve you as long as it doesn't make anybody else uncomfortable. He calls us to a wholehearted experience with him. That means that we can't say to him, this part of my life is yours, this part of my life is mine. I think he says to us when we try that kind of negotiation, he says to us, no deal. Look with me, if you will, in Jeremiah 29. I want to start here, but we're not going to stay here long. Jeremiah 29 at verse 13. As we begin to look at some of the verses in Scripture that call us to a wholehearted 
relationship with God. Here in Jeremiah 29 at verse 13, he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The way to find God is to always be in a position of seeking him with one's whole heart. In other words, you never get to the point where you say, okay, I found God, I've got it, now we're set. Instead, you are always seeking him. You always recognize there's more of him to know. God is amazing in so many ways. One of the things that amazes us is how he is transcendent and present at the same time. Scripture speaks of God as being very present help in time of trouble. He is very present. Understand that he is omnipresent, which means wherever you go, there he is. You cannot be where he is not. He is with you always, even to the ends of the age. He is with you. Yes, absolutely. Very present. But at that same time, he is also transcendent above us, beyond us. We cannot fully comprehend him. We are confined by space and time while he is not confined by space or time. We are confined in a body when scripture makes it clear that he is spirit. So he is present and yet transcendent at the same time. Therefore, while we know him, we have to keep seeking him. David speaks of the, the deer who pants for the water. Is that desire in him to know God? To be wholehearted in our relationship with him requires us to seek him with our whole heart, to never be satisfied. I never know enough. I never understand him. I'm never close enough. I want more in my relationship with him. If we ever get settled, if we ever get complacent in our relationship with God, we stop seeking him. And when we stop seeking him, we are no longer wholeheartedly related to him. And so we, Jeremiah reminds us, we, we, we seek him. If we want to find him, that's the way we find him. It's not that we discover him and then the discovery is complete. We continue in that seeking. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You keep on seeking him. In 1 Kings, there is an, there is a, a, an amazing historical statement that shakes me to my core. 1 Kings 11 and 4, when Solomon was old. Now, by the way, that's, that's relative. He never did really get all that old. But in his life, he, it was toward the end of his life, so for him it was old. When Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart. There may be a clue there in the plural of wife. 
For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. David made mistakes, didn't he? Absolutely. And yet scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart. And here it says that David was wholeheartedly following God. Wholeheartedly committed to God. Solomon, however, only had a half-hearted commitment. He was committed for a while, but then his wives changed his mind and redirected his attention elsewhere. And so Solomon was half-hearted in his commitment. And if you want to understand the power of this statement, look at the kings who came after Solomon. David was wholehearted in his commitment. Solomon was halfway there, and the kings who followed were far gone. You see, we leave a legacy. We, we, we leave footprints for those after us to follow. Solomon left a half-hearted commitment for others to follow, and their commitment was less than half. We seek him with our whole heart in order to really get to know him. Jeremiah's word is to find him. But not only shall we seek him with our whole heart, but we serve him with our whole heart as well. We serve him wholeheartedly. In other words, it, Christianity is not just about my, my list of beliefs. Christianity is not my belief system. But Christianity is based on my relationship with God the Father through God the Son. And because it's based on that relationship, I cannot ever serve him enough. He is Lord. Lord means master. If he's Lord, if he's master, then by definition that makes me servant. And he's not Lord on Sunday unless he is also Lord on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I serve him. And in order to be the man that God has called me to be, I must serve him wholeheartedly. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12 speaks to us. And now Israel... Remember, Israel was God's people. So now, God's people, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. What does he require of us? Notice that, that nothing in this description of what God requires of his people says anything about me. How do I live life as a person of God? I respect him. That's fear. I revere him. 
I walk in his ways instead of mine. I love him. I serve him as Lord. Serve the Lord your God with all your heart. You see, it's all about him. We're the ones who make it about us, and when we do, we mess things up. Faith, Christianity, real relationship with an almighty God is all about him. And we serve him with our whole heart because of who he is. He is Lord. You're familiar with Revelation 3.16, although you may not know the address. You're familiar with the verse. Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And we, most of us, grew up hearing that and, and understanding that God is saying, or Jesus is saying, I wish you were hot and on fire for Jesus, or just dead and cold and didn't believe at all. I'd rather you have on one of those extremes than to have you in the middle lukewarm. But did you know that's not really the best way to interpret that verse? He is speaking to the church at Laodicea. Laodicea was in a valley, in a valley that had no source of water. They, had no, they did not have their own water source. So they depended on aqueducts to bring water from other communities. One of those communities was up in the mountains where the water would, would, there would there snow and ice and the water would melt and it would be very cold water. And it would come down through the aqueducts to Laodicea. The other place that they got water was a place that had natural hot springs. And so the water would start very hot and it would come through the aqueducts to Laodicea. The problem is Laodicea was so far from those water sources that by the time it reached the people of Laodicea, the cold water was no longer cold and the hot water was no longer hot. It was just lukewarm. And so Jesus is not saying, every time you heard that as a child and growing up, something inside you said, something just doesn't sound right. He is not saying, I want you either hot and on fire for me or dead and cold. You knew better than that. He doesn't want anybody dead and cold and lost. No, in reality, what the verse is saying is hot water is good, cold water is good. But by the time it's affected by the climate around it and it gets to Laodicea, it's just lukewarm. And so what Jesus is saying is, Hot water or cold water are good. I don't want to settle for lukewarm that's been affected by the environment around it. He says your lives demonstrate lukewarm faith. I'd rather you, I'd rather you be extreme, but you're just lukewarm. What you do shows who you are. In that same verse, Jesus says, or in, in that same paragraph, Jesus says, it's because of your deeds that I know you're lukewarm. How you live your life. Once you leave the stained glass room and you get out there in the real world, 
on Monday morning when the boss is being a jerk? Are you hot or cold so that there's, you make a difference? Cold water is refreshing, hot water is cleansing. They make a difference. Lukewarm water is just me. Is that your faith, just me? He calls us in Deuteronomy, he makes it very clear, if you're going to be my people, serve me with your whole heart. Scripture also challenges us to turn to him with your whole heart. Seek him with your whole heart. Serve him with your whole heart. Turn to him with your whole heart. In other words, we live in a, in a world around us that is, that is constantly screaming and, and, and yelling at us to get our attention. The world around us wants to form us into its mold. So Paul says, don't be, don't be transformed by the, or don't be conformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The world wants to conform you to its, its image of who it thinks you ought to be. And we're seeing that more now than ever in some ways. So understand that the world is constantly yelling at you and screaming at you and trying to form you into what it wants you to be. And so we have to constantly, intentionally turn from the things of the world, turn from the other messages, and turn toward him wholeheartedly. It's a conscious decision that takes place over and over again. We turn away from and we turn to him wholeheartedly. Joel chapter 2 calls us to that. In Joel, God, is, uh, God speaks to the people of the northern kingdom. He speaks to, the, the, to, to Israel and he says to them, Assyria is on its way and they're going to wipe you out like locusts would wipe out a field. Assyria is going to come and they're going to wipe you out. But the reason they're going to do that is because you've turned away from me. You've turned to other gods. You've not been wholehearted in your commitment. But in Joel 2 and 12, he says, yet even now, even though Assyria is on its way, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. You and I mess up all the time. All the time. And we have choices when we do that. When we mess up, we can say, eh, it's just part of being human. This is going to happen. Or we can cover it up, pretend it didn't happen. Or we can say, God, I messed up again. But I'm turning back to you wholeheartedly. We turn to him with our whole heart in order to be his people. You're familiar with B.B. King, great blues artist. Before B.B. King, Louis Jordan sang jazz, and he kind of laid the groundwork for what became B.B. King's style of blues. I want you to listen real quickly to one of the songs that made Louis Jordan famous. Is You Is... 
or is you ain't. Lewis Jordan says, I got a girl who's always late. And he says, I'm going to go down and meet her at her gate, and I'm going to ask her, is you is or is you ain't my baby? You see, he understands you either is or you ain't. There ain't no in the middle. Is you is or is you ain't my baby? I think the Lord says to each of us, is you is or is you ain't? Because it ain't nothing in the middle. Lukewarm makes me want to spit you up. Is you is wholly committed? Is you is wholeheartedly turning to me and turning away from the world? Is you is? Or is you ain't there? What, you got it now? Let's play just a few bars because, man, I'm into it now. We got it. Listen, this is good. Now, here it is. Listen, here it is. Ouch. Seems my flame in your heart's done gone out. The way you're acting makes me doubt. I wonder, can he ever say that to me? Do I live my life? Do I make my decisions? Do I, do I be who I am in a way that lets God know I'm all in? Or when my loving heavenly Father who created me looks at me, does he say, I don't know, the way you're acting, I got my doubts. We're called to seek him with our whole heart, to serve him with our whole heart, to turn to him with a whole heart. And we're called to praise him with your whole heart. To praise him is to recognize his worthiness. The word worship comes from the same word as worthy. To worship him is to recognize that he is worthy of being worshiped. He deserves our praise. He desires our praise. He demands our praise.
By the way, there's a little bit of a subtle difference between praising him and thanking him. We thank him for what he does. We praise him for who he is. Even if he never did another thing, he is still God, and we praise him for who he is. We praise him. We're called in Psalm 57 to praise him with our whole heart. Let me read for you real quickly Psalm 57, beginning at uh, verse 7. My heart is steadfast, O God. Now listen, my heart is steadfast, wholeheartedly committed. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. The psalmist says, my heart is steadfast, and I'm going to praise you. Why? Because you were steadfast first. Because you are faithful, I'm going to be steadfast. I'm going to be wholeheartedly praising you. The story is told of an old man named Jim. Jim had been a drunk and a troublemaker his whole life. He could barely make ends meet because of the terrible choices that he had made through his life. During one Sunday morning service, he walked the aisle and he gave his life to Jesus. And the transformation was so radical that everybody in the congregation noticed it. But Jim had a little bit of a problem. He was so thrilled with being a Christian that he sang louder than everyone else in the congregation. When the pastor made a point that touched his heart, Jim would jump up and shout, Hallelujah! Well, concerned with the, the dignity of the way church is supposed to be, the pastor went to Jim and said, Jim, you gotta, you gotta be quiet in worship. You're distracting everybody else when you shout out like that. I tell you what, if, if you'll just sit in church next Sunday and say nothing, I'll buy you a new pair of boots. Jim needed a new pair of boots. So he said, okay, pastor, you got a deal. But after restraining himself through several high points in the sermon, he couldn't stand it anymore. And so Jim jumped up and shouted, hallelujah, boots or no boots, I'm going to praise the Lord. <laughs> boots or no boots, because the Lord is the Lord and worthy of our praise regardless of what I get out of the deal. We praise him with our whole heart. And then finally, let me remind you, Scripture tells us to trust him with your whole heart. Trust him. Trust moves us out of the realm of belief. We've talked about belief We've talked about relationship. We've, we've even talked about our behavior and the, the way we live our lives. Trust is almost a whole different topic than those things, although it's related to them. It's different because belief 
says I intellectually agree to something. Trust says my belief is so strong I'm going to put my life on the line for that belief. Belief says I know God can. Trust says God here I am. Do what you do. Trust moves it out of the intellectual practice and it puts it into the very personal, relational interaction with God that says, God, I, I give you me. I trust that you know better than I do. And now my life is yours to be lived for your glory. We trust him with a whole heart and so in Proverbs we read, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. I love that imagery because it says trust him with your whole heart, which suggests that I'm moving from where I am and I'm going to step into the place he wants me to be. I trust him with my whole heart. And then it says, don't even lean back on, the own, on your own understanding. Be firmly, fully planted in that position of trust. Don't even lean back on trying to figure things out on your own and do life the way that makes sense in your head, but trust him wholeheartedly. And so this morning, he calls us to be more than Sunday Christians, but to be Monday Christians and Tuesday Christians and wholehearted believers. He calls us to seek him with our whole heart, to serve him with our whole heart, to turn to him with our whole heart, to praise him with a whole heart and to trust him with our whole heart. Have you entered into that kind of relationship with the only one that you can really trust with that kind of relationship? Have you moved beyond the intellectual acceptance of certain beliefs and have you moved beyond the Sunday morning religion and have you moved into a wholehearted, all-in, once-for-all-forever kind of relationship with an almighty God 